0: Want the story? I'll spin it for you quick. From directors Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez comes an outrageous double feature with
1: unpredictable villains. Do I frighten you? Is it my scar? It's your car. And unstoppable heroes. I made you something. On April 6th, oh prepare to be blown away. Oh Only at the Grindhouse. Rated R. In theaters, everywhere. April 6th.
2: Yeah, a Hobo with a shotgun, that's what all those movies, old movies were like.
0: Radio-drome. Welcome to another episode of Radiodrome. I am Josh Hadley and the full crew is back. Peter finally got his technical issues resolved. I got nothing witty to say, but yeah, I'm back. And Cecil is back from whatever weird family holiday, sabbatical, or I don't even remember what excuse I used last week. I, I can't remember <laughs> where the hell you were, Cecil. I
3: still function. <laughs> Not for
0: long. I, I can't do a Chris Lotta, sorry. <laughs> hey, you got it, though. Before that, though, guys, go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Does it strike either of you as sort of odd that the movie Grindhouse is 10 years old now? To me, it just doesn't seem like that movie and that term has been around a decade. Does it
3: seem like it's been 10 years already? (laughs) this for <laughs> i know, we were talking about this like a couple weeks ago for like it it seems like just about the right amount of time i don't know greenhouse Grand i know 10 years goes i mean it went by quickly but it does seem like it was 10 years
2: it does seem a bit odd. Also odd to be reminded of the fact that I have actually sold a sex swing before.
3: Well, you used to work in a porno store, so.
2: Yeah, yeah. One time, one time, and the one time I sold it, the guy tried to return it because he couldn't properly install it, and we had a no return policy, so that was that was awkward. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's ten years. Definitely went by pretty quick. All I can say is, throughout that time, people have been misusing the term "grindhouse" because of that movie. You know, simply putting that, like, uh, you know, like an exploitation movie or a B movie is a is a grindhouse movie when really it's a misconception of the the term. It, it was a grindhouse theaters that would usually have double bills or would usually have an A movie and a B movie and things like that. And yeah, usually you'd have B movies and Z movies and exploitation movies. But an exploitation movie is not technically a grindhouse film. They were grindhouse theaters. And I remember being pretty underwhelmed by grindhouse when it came out. I kind of like Planet Terror. That one had its moments. Death Proof had an awesome opening, and then the rest of it just kind of eked by. It, it didn't have nearly as much of a Kurt Russell as I wanted. With a, it did have a pretty fantastic little car chase at the end, though. But all I know is, is that at that time I was already a fan of those kinds of movies, and it was kind of cool that they had made a, a little resurgence. Uh, the trailers, the fake trailers in the movie, were probably better than Planet Terror and uh, Death Proof both were to both combined. But, yeah, it's, it's been 10 years, and uh, people are still bastardizing the term grindhouse, so not much has changed. We'll talk about the bastardization in a couple of minutes. A lot of people, especially in the
0: post-grindhouse, and when I say the post-grindhouse era, I'm talking about the movie because the movie is what arguably put that term into popular culture or at least movie culture. Prior yeah. to that, grindhouses were basically the, the lower echelon. These were the movies that they got the term because these were movie theaters that would change movies every couple of days. They were just quote grinding these things out. These were the grindhouses. These were porno films. These were low end exploitation films. The these were the two thousand maniacs. These were these were the blood feasts. These were things like that. And one of the things that the grindhouse movie mistakenly put into pop culture is the type of movie. Grindhouses were typically from the late '60s to the early '70s. Movies, the style that Tarantino and Rodriguez were going for, were not part of the grindhouse anymore because mm-hmm. they were already on their way out at that point. Now, if they'd made like a Herschel Gordon Lewis or a Ted V. Michael style movie, that would actually be a grindhouse film. So the term has been altered because you you see a lot of grindhouse style tv shows and whatnot nowadays and there aren't really that like right now on air is uh blood drive i think blood drive is a fantastic show it really evokes more of the vhs era and the video era but it takes its aesthetic from the movie grindhouse rather than the actual terminology
3: it's kind of funny that the the term Grindhouse had been changed because of the movie Grindhouse, because Grindhouse was a monumental bomb when it came oh, out. It, like, it made
0: less than half of its budget back, uh,
3: especially compounded as bad because of its Tarantino movie. And, and Tarantino, technically it was two movies, too. I think uh, I, I just think with a, a combination of the ad campaign and just people not really understanding what it was and that just caused it to uh just come, you know, come out and just flop miserably because it's there were movies where Tarantino had nothing to do with like hero, but they promoted it as a, you know, a Tarantino film because he was releasing it under, you know, his label and that came out and was a huge success. So it just seemed like everything that he had put his name on was a hit. And here was a movie. That was, you know, him and Robert Rodriguez and a bunch of other directors, like uh, doing the the. Uh, the commercials in there and or the trailers in there and having fun and then this just comes out and it flops hard. So it is funny that even though it was such a bomb, it still ended up having an impact that is still going on all these years later. Now granted it's an impact that changed the way that a lot of people think of what Grindhouse is, but that uh I guess just kinda comes with the territory.
0: You have the same thing that like happened in nineteen eighty two with Blade Runner. Blade Runner was a monumental bomb. John Carpenter's The Thing was a monumental bomb. Both of those set a new benchmark. When you look back, they changed the movies. And I think Grindhouse in 2007 did the same thing. It entered pop culture, even if nobody bought a ticket. Grindhouse, the 2007 movie, it made a lot of money on home video, ironically enough. A movie called Grindhouse, meant to evoke the style of the Grindhouse, didn't work in the theater but did on home video. There's a certain irony to that, isn't there?
2: Yeah, there certainly is. And I do remember uh, not that many people liking it that went to go see it of My Friend Circle back when it came out. But yeah, there's always going to be a cult status to, to something like that that's... Not a lot of people were too familiar with. I think, uh, not many people knew what Grindhouse was when it came out. It seemed different. They're like, Oh, this is, I guess it's like retro, like seventies stuff. And it sort of garnered its own cult status and on that front, much, much in the way I'm sure that Blade Runner and the, and the thing did is that maybe people that went to go see it in theaters at first didn't really get it. But then you had for the thing, I'm sure you had the sort of Lovecraft science fiction type people taking, uh, taking a shine to it. And you had the Blade Runner people, the folks that would read stuff like Ibsen's work and uh, Philip K. Dick's work would kind of take a shine to that. So I think uh, the same thing maybe happened with Grindhouse. Maybe when when the uh, home video release came out, you had some – Fans of exploitation movies and, and B movies and stuff taking a liking to it and maybe some of the younger generation seeing it and kind of finding it interesting. So it made its, its mark in terms of cult status. I mean, the, the trailers even before like the fake trailers, before the movie even came out, I remember people sharing that a lot, like the werewolf women of the SS and hobo with a shotgun and machete and stuff. They were almost more, if anything, were more popular than the actual, than the actual movies. I mean, you had machete following as a movie shortly after that. You had Hobble with a shotgun coming out shortly after that. And there was this whole new aesthetic of making movies that were like like basically exploitation exploitation like it was uh using it as uh, as an as an aesthetic and pretending that it's kind of it, it's making it in the style of a 70s or an 80s movie but it's it's contemporary and that that really became popular for for a while to me I consider it sort of faux exploitation there are a lot of people I know that watch those kind of movies and they consider them to be oh well they're just like the old ones no not not really they're not nearly the older ones aren't nearly as over the top and weirdly oversaturated and whatnot and they weren't always that grainy you know a lot of them are are old like vhs copies that'll never really see a a cleaned up version and until uh till the world ends but a lot of people have that misconception and of course either way it, it found its its cult following and i think that's cool in a way because it on one hand, it introduced a lot of people to older movies because it piqued that interest. But on the other hand, you got the ignorant people that are like, oh, yeah, this is the yeah, Hobo with a Shotgun. That's what all those movies, old movies were like.
0: Hobo with a Shotgun, I enjoyed the movie. It really feels more like a trauma film yeah. than a, quote, Grindhouse movie. It really yeah. evokes more of something Lloyd Kaufman would have done. The yeah. lighting and even the over-the-top gore is very much 1985
2: trauma. Yeah, it felt very mid-'80s later 80s trauma for sure like you were expecting uh toxi or sergeant kabuki man to show up at any minute and and a lot of people have that misconception that exploitation is like the the trauma stuff which is not trauma is entirely its its own thing, just like Full Moon stuff and Charles Band movies are their own thing. There are a lot of different offshoots. That's uh why it's why a lot of it is called exploitation. You have different exploitations of different sh. And, and a lot of people assume that because of, you know, Grindhouse and Hubble with a shotgun and machete, that it was all like that. In a way, it's a detriment to it, but in another way, it's kind of good because it, it opened up a lot of ground for people to go and get into the older movies, and I think that it's, it's cool in that way. I can really I'm, – I'm happy in that regard. I'm just not happy with all the ignorant people going around and saying, uh, Machete, I like 70s movies because I like Machete.
0: You also have to look at how a lot of the people who are behind the current grindhouse movement, we'll just call that 2007 and up, the last decade, yeah. especially Tarantino, Eli Roth and these people, they are essentially fake grindhouse experts because Tarantino – People have torn this story apart. He claims he watched all these exploitation movies like Black Caesar and all that in the theaters, in grindhouses in Los Angeles. He saw these first run and mainly black audiences and that's why he's down with the homies. That's like, Quentin? You were nine years old when those movies came out. (laughs) No, you did not go to a grindhouse theater to see these movies. Grindhouse theaters had this reputation in pop culture that they were these just giant den of iniquities where people were getting blowjobs in the seats and there were hookers running around and people were shooting up drugs and there were puke everywhere and they didn't follow any rules. No, they still checked IDs. They still had the health inspector come by, things like that. Like Tarantino, I think, is a fake grindhouse expert. Eli Roth wasn't even born until the Grindhouse era was over.
2: Eli Roth is almost my f***ing age, for Christ's sake. Like, I'm barely younger than him. That's one of the things is you get this
0: fake aesthetic that came in. 42nd Street Pete will be in a little bit later to talk about that some more. Let's talk about Grindhouse in 2007 and why it made an impact, even though it financially flopped. When I say the movie, I mean that's Planet Terror, Death Proof, and all the trailers, the full package not the not like when death proof and planet terror were idiotically released on dvd separately
3: didn't see it in theaters but uh, i did see it on uh, on home video and stuff and i think that overall like i i was enjoying planet terror and then the trailers uh, were hilarious and then i thought that death proof was Weak by comparison. However, over the years, I kind of have grown like how I was with Kill Bill part, volume one and two. I thought volume one was just incredibly strong. And then I thought that volume two wasn't as good. But then years later, going back and watching them again, I ended up enjoying, uh, volume two a lot more than I remembered. So same thing. I went back and rewatched, uh, Grindhouse's, you know, one and, t- uh, it was Planet Terror, the trailers, and then, um, Death Proof and ended up enjoying Death Proof more than I i did initially i still think that planet terror ended up being the more enjoyable one of the two but death proof had a lot of things going for it it had his dialogue it had the awesome car chase that kurt russell the the amazing scene of that girl getting her face ripped off uh just really really good stuff
0: hold on i'm gonna stop you there but you gotta remember in the theatrical release a lot of that was missing. It was missing 20 minutes of footage that was put back in for the DVD. So like the girl getting her face ripped off and all that, that didn't play in theaters.
3: Oh wow. So I'm, see that's the thing. I'm the, just going that's off of quote, the version. directors.
0: Well, cause okay that's another big misnomer that the movie grindhouse had that the whole missing reel thing now sometimes that would happen as prints of these films which would usually come on three or four different reels would be trucked around the country sometimes a reel would get damaged or go missing and the theaters would just air it anyway with reel missing that happened very very few times they both played into putting an entire missing reel of major plot points into the movies rodriguez didn't even shoot his he used it as part of the gag Tarantino shot it, deleted it, and then told Video Watchdog magazine the reason he put it back, because his ego is is so
3: succinct, the footage was just
0: too good to not be
3: seen. Arrogant, yeah, but here, twat. Here comes your typical, your hatred of, of Tarantino. Tarantino is the modern version of a carnival barker. He is the guy that's going to go out there and, you know, ri- He also thinks up really and... highly
0: of himself, too.
3: Yeah, but you know what? The guy has Oscars. He's only done a couple of films. Like, if you compare him to somebody like Spielberg or whatnot, who's got a much wider breadth of uh of movies that he's done over the years and what i mean tarantino's really only got a couple of films but every time one of his films comes out with the exception of grindhouse but i mean every time one of his films comes out it's an event so it's i i can't like i, yeah, I he's got a tarantino e- he's got an ego but i don't blame him for having an ego yeah honestly that's kind of that's also part of his personality like he's if you go back and watch him around when pulp fiction came out kind of was the same way so really that's just the way that he is i don't really fault him for that and everything the thing the thing is everything that i have heard about the guy like behind the scenes and just uh is is always been he's he may talk a big game about himself but i've heard in general that he's actually a really cool chill guy like he's really good to the people that he he works with
0: he he seems like the kind of guy who would be great to just talk movies over dinner with
3: Right. But it's like, but you know, but I mean, everybody knows somebody who has like a gigantic ego, but you know, in at the end of the day is still like a good guy. So I think that's kind of how he is. He's talking a big game because in Hollywood, you do need to constantly just push yourself out there and, you know, be larger than life. And he's somebody who has achieved that.
0: Except I think Rodriguez is the polar opposite of that. Rodriguez, I think, is a more talented director, has a a more unique style, and yet doesn't seem to have that kind of ego about him.
4: Yeah,
3: but go out to the average person and say Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. Ninety percent of people will know who Tarantino is. You know, I would say uh, probably only 30 percent would know who Rodriguez is.
2: Which is because Rodriguez is a little quieter. He doesn't really have that, uh, I guess you could call it showmanship and charisma that Tarantino has. He's just a lot louder. And mm-hmm. that can, that can help you in Hollywood. You can get, you can uh, have people take a lot more notice of you.
0: In this case, with Death Proof, when putting the reel back in, the footage was just too good to not be seen. That is pure ego, because if you've seen that footage, The bulk of it, almost every reviewer agreed, the film works better without that footage. That was just him going, dude, I shot it, so it has to be good.
2: Planet Terror is not bad. I prefer the trailers as I said over any, over everything else. I've tried to rewatch Death Proof. I like it more on a technical standpoint over anything else. I find the opening scene really strong when he's like uh giving the girl a ride home and he's like, you know, to to really experience what this car can do, you got to be sitting in my seat or whatever. Then he just slaughters all those chicks. And then the in-between stuff is just a lot of vapid conversation, which is weird cuz in Tarantino's case, he tends to write pretty entertaining dialogue, but Death Proof I found really boring. Uh, I didn't feel like there was enough Kurt Russell. When we finally got him, there was a a cool hard chase but i mean that was only really last like 15 or so minutes of the movie i didn't find it all that strong i definitely found it the weaker of the two films but the the trailers really stood out and a lot of those i would still like to see get made into into full movies like um i'm not usually a shill for eli roth but i would love to see a a full feature length version of thanksgiving because that trailer might be my favorite one from the entire movie
0: i gotta disagree with you on that one i gotta go werewolf women of the ss
2: that was that would
0: be my follow-up Love that, Rob Zombie's
2: aesthetics, the way the the cast he assembled. Nicholas Cage as Fu Manchu. (laughs) And speaking of Rob Rob Zombie, um, I mean, Rob Zombie's movies predate Grindhouse, do they not? Like House of a Thousand Corpses.
3: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. they do.
2: If you think about it, he was doing that sort of Grindhouse movie-esque thing before Grindhouse actually came out which is weird because then you've got him doing the fake trailer for uh, Tarantino and Rodriguez's movie so it's it's like some people forget that that actually already already came out that there was already this kind of faux exploitation thing but I guess it uh, it hadn't really kicked off or people didn't maybe people didn't realize that Rob Zombie was already doing that cuz he was clearly going for like the 70s drive-in kind of aesthetic and in my opinion I think he did it better than Tarantino and Rodriguez did it's just weird when you got the the marketing teams for grindhouse and a lot of audiences and a lot of people will forget that things happened years before so i don't know i i gotta give more credit to to rob zombie for rejuvenating this uh aesthetic a lot more than i have to give to to tarantino and uh and rodriguez
0: well when it comes to grindhouse the film it was two movies and four to three to four fake trailers depending on what country you saw the movie because hobo with a shotgun we didn't get in america we didn't get yeah, that, that was just canada yeah that was canadian so that's why depending on what country you saw it in there might have been four there might not have been the the movie was, you know, a double feature and that's the way it was sold in the trailers and on the posters. I think the Weinsteins misunderstood the audience that they were going for because people didn't realize that it was a double feature. You had people getting up and leaving after Planet Terror. Because they didn't realize there was another movie after this. Because when's the last time you've seen an actual double feature released by the distribution company to theaters? Not like a theater deciding to do a double feature. People, They didn't know what this was. Again, miscalculating their audience. People didn't understand the missing real thing. I'm talking not people like us. I'm talking yeah. your average person seeing this at the mall. They didn't understand the missing reel. They thought that was a problem with the film. They People were complaining to the management about that they didn't see the whole movie. The scratches, they didn't understand it. I think the Weinsteins gimped this up in the marketing. They assumed the audience would understand what this was. And when you've got a $55 million film coming out, that's a disastrously stupid way to, to market It this. is
2: cuz i i don't really remember the trailers uh too well. I kind of remember like heavy metal music in the in the trailers and it was cut a lot more like a at least the trailers i saw it was more like a contemporary kind of movie and they didn't really play the double feature angle like what they really should have done was watch some old like exploitation and B movie and double feature trailers, like a a good example as much as I hate the movie, would be the trailer for uh I drink your blood. Like that would have been the perfect way to market Grindhouse was to do a trailer like that, to market it as Or as the two I, films. actually I'd say even better,
0: I don't like the original movie, but Last House on the Left. That's yeah. a grindhouse movie trailer.
2: Exactly. Let's watch like a bunch of trailers like that and cut it that way and really sell the point that this is like it's like a pseudo exploitation seventies movie. It's meant to be like a throwback, and they very much, from what I remember, cut it like more like a contemporary movie. You had like the, you know, 2000s kind of heavy metal music and quick cuts and all this stuff. So it, it looked more like a like a Guy Ritchie movie or something. It didn't really look like um something that would be from the 70s or the early 80s, which is the aesthetic that they should have been going for for the trailers. And they easily would have gotten more of the audience that I think they wanted to get for it. But it really is the the fault of the of the market. For sure, the
3: Weinstein's messed something up. No, I know, (laughs) never, right? Never. Are they not understanding the product that they have that they paid for? No. What, what <laughs> world is this that we live in? So yeah, of course they're going to screw it up. They screw everything up. They, they fail simply because they end up with, with Tarantino and with some of the other properties that they've had over the years. They fail just because they've gotten lucky. They managed to put their money behind the right stuff and it ends up succeeding in spite of them being completely stupid.
0: If you need to know how the Weinstein's can fail, listen to the the interview with Richard Stanley Cecil and I did.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: The movie is arguably failing at the box office. It had a $55 million budget, which in and of itself is ironic, considering they're trying to emulate low-budget cinema of the 60s and 70s, so they spend more money than a 100 movies made in the 60s and 70s would have. So right there, you're kind of misguided. It only made $23 million theatrically. Ouch. But then also... Maybe understanding, maybe this isn't misunderstanding their audience, but maybe understanding them too much, but again going against the aesthetic. When the movies came out on Blu-ray and DVD, you had the option to turn off the digital film scratches to make it look like it was an hd modern movie that infuriated me because it told me you really don't care about this at all do you weinsteins you're just (laughs) desperate to make your money back because the entire point of the digital film scratches which i won't even get into the whole fact that it needed to be digital was to make it feel like an older film to have an option to watch the movie without the digital film scratches is beyond idiotic
3: once again they I don't know what the hell they're doing
2: yeah, getting rid of the the film scratches in a movie called Grindhouse that's meant to have the aesthetics of like a mid 70s late 70s movie it's it's defeating its own purpose. It's like overcooking a steak. What are you doing?
0: Well, and then the Weinstein's either they saw what was coming or they were or they were just getting ready in case it happened. We have this whole wave of the word Grindhouse being used. You had all these flash in the pan DVD companies coming out that were just taking all of their old 70s movies and repackaging them. Now they're the Grindhouse collection and things like that. The Weinsteins attempted to, in one of the great dick moves, to <laughs> copyright the word Grindhouse and they started oh. suing anyone else used the word grindhouse on the basis that people would assume it's in relation to their movie grindhouse and a couple of people changed it like there was one that was released as the gore house collection because of the freaking weinsteins this should show you just how ridiculous the word has gotten i went to amazon and just typed in the word grindhouse 2,843 results into the DVD section alone I think that word is overused a little bit to sell DVDs because we've got American Grindhouse, Full Moon Grindhouse, The Grindhouse Experience. We have Phantom of the Grindhouse, Grindhouse Double Feature, Drive-In Grindhouse, Grindhouse Eye. We have Hell Week Grindhouse Edition, The Grindhouse Tour, Grindhouse Trailer Classics, Storefront Grindhouse, 42nd Street Grindhouse. Do you see where I'm going with this, how the word kind of lost all meaning?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It almost becomes, uh, it it became very corporate which is the antithesis of what it is i mean the grindhouse theaters were very anti-establishment very punk rock you know they were seedy and kind of gross obviously but it was more offshoot it was the lower even lower echelon exploitation stuff so to have a, a company copyright the word again it's defeating its own purpose you're you're taking the the allure that it actually has you're taking that that low-budget punk rock aesthetic away from it and turning it into f***ing Walmart. Look at it this way. Sony, a few years ago, tried to trademark the word punk rock,
0: and they oh, got murdered man. for that. Good. You know, they're, 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 there's a company out there that trademarked for video games the word cyberpunk. Wow. So pe- pe- people do this kind of thing.
3: It's typical. I mean, it's, it's just corporate, uh, nonsense in general. Hey, here's something that is a term that someone else invented, but we came along and made it, uh, made something using that term. So now we own that term so it's just ridiculous and it just further shows how screwed up copyright nonsense is in general and why it ends up hurting everyone there was a case i don't remember exactly because it's been a while but it was something along the lines of there was a product that came out that was uh let's just say for for lack of me not remembering what it was let's just say something uh was edge they were using the word edge and it came out in like 2000 and then this new thing comes along and uses the word edge and copyrights the word edge and then that actually happened
0: That that Mm -hmm. actually happened. It was Edge, a video game developer in the U.K., trademarked and copyrighted the word, and any video game or anything video game related that had the word Edge in it, he sued them until he bit off more than he could chew when he tried to sue over the game Mirror's Edge, and they beat the holy hell out of him in court and got the trademark revoked from him
3: good that's that's what it was yeah so that but i mean he was go they were going after people that like the product had been out for years before this came along but then they were siding with the guy now because he owned the copyright on it even though he got it years after the other product yeah yeah he went after uh, I think Mirror's Edge was EA e- and, EA yeah, but,
0: and EA's got a lot deeper pockets than he had He
3: certainly does I think that's yeah now it's all coming back to me they were thinking that he was thinking that they were just going to settle and they were like uh no so it's one of the few times that EA actually did something good inadvertently they were doing it for themselves they weren't doing it for everybody else but they ended up you know kind of fixing that
0: he even went after some big video game publishers a lot of people seem to forget the soul Calibur series the first game was soul edge until mm-hmm. he sued them and they changed it to caliber rather than fighting him
2: holy shit
0: so the first game is soul edge the rest are soul Calibur. So ridiculous. After Grindhouse came out, which I, th- this is the part that I find the most ironic. The movie failed, but it still completely entered pop culture. You had everything coming out. You had tons of video games come out after that. Remember that House of the Dead game that was all Grindhousey style? And then there was the game Wet that came out. Red Dead Redemption, the initial trailer for that was very Grindhousey. It's it, Both these shows are long gone, but on Friday nights, Fox had Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles, and Dollhouse... And there's a great commercial that you can find on my YouTube channel, Plug Plug, where they sold these as a Grindhouse badass woman double feature. And (laughs) it was funny how the Grindhouse aesthetic, even though it wasn't real
2: Grindhouse, worked its way into pop culture, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, this happens all the time. Uh, As soon as something that's deemed a presentable and marketable aesthetic shows up, everybody immediately latches onto that. And I saw that happen directly. After *Grindhouse* came out, like I remember that. I remember movies that were being made, and, and trailers, and all the all these people trying to jump on the the same bandwagon. As I said, you know, you had *Oboe with a Shotgun*, you had *Machete*, and you had all these other weird offshoots that were coming out. Like I think it was like *Hooker Zombies* versus *Werewolves*, and all these other. St- stupid-ass movies that were coming out until finally we got uh, somebody like Nicholas Refn who actually knew how to make a f***ing 80s movie. But I, for actually, that no, no, time, no, no. I, I, I'm going to go before that. I think
0: Pat, and Cecil will know exactly where I'm going, I think Patrick Lussier, Drive Angry, is one of the most pure grindhouse style movies that doesn't pretend it's a grindhouse style movie. You know what? Yeah, actually, that's a great movie.
2: It's also the Ghost Rider movie that we should have gotten.
1: Absolutely.
0: But, I mean, when you look at Drive Angry, let's leave the 3D element outright that out for the moment, because I think that kind of wrecks it a little bit. When you look at Drive Angry, the plot, the characters, the action, the style Style. of it, without the whole scratchiness and whatnot, it's the kind of movie you really could have seen coming out in 1972.
2: Absolutely. And there was uh no pretension to it. It wasn't ironic. It was a completely unironic movie, unlike a lot of the other like faux exploitation films that would start coming out, like Manborg and Father's Day and all this stuff that was like
4: uh eighties. <laughs> <'80s,
2: laughs> <'70s>. Black <laughs> exorcist it, it and all that. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't ironic back then. They were just making movies. They would get a concept and they would fing run with it. This is what a lot of these uh offshoots of Grindhouse didn't get. And even in my opinion, that Grindhouse didn't get because they really did go for the oh it's dumb because it's low budget yet it's ironic because it's a movie with a 55 million dollar budget it's like mm-hmm. they, they kind of didn't really know what they were doing which was great because because eventually you would see uh some lower budget in an actual genuinely spirited movies like yeah like drive angry or bl- lower- bl- black dynamite
0: black dynamite oh even that the, the, great the, yes but it's a straight-up comedy But strangely, it hit the actual Grindhouse aesthetic more than the Grindhouse movie did.
2: You forget that it's a parody halfway through. Like you actually, I honestly, whenever I watch it, I get so Also the fact that it's legitimately funny. It is legitimately funny. It's shot on real film. At least I'm pretty sure it and looks like it michael jai white sells the shit out of it like that was um one of the better ones to come out um for the for that period afterward i mean and that one i did it it did poke fun at itself but it also still took itself seriously in the sense that you had somebody like michael jai white who could actually kick ass on camera and somebody who um i've seen a lot of interviews with him talking about the movie and he's a huge fan of like uh, black exploitation and stuff and he had always wanted to to make something like that so it wasn't even just Oh, Grindhouse came out, so we're going to make something like Like That was a a passion project in and of itself. So we did get some cool stuff like that through the resurgence of it, but you you had to paddle through the sewage and the shit to get through it, which kind of sucks. But we did get some really, really good stuff. And definitely of the higher echelon stuff, you had Black Dynamite, you had Drive Angry, and Nicholas Refn's Drive, which those are three solid examples of movies you can watch that are not unironic or that are not ironic garbage and movies that really try to be the films of the eras they're I guess mimicking in a way but instead of mimicking well, the Black Dynamite just... is kind of making fun of that but a yeah bit, a bit but it's not in like a mean-spirited way it's in a way that's kind of more paying tribute to it like an homage because they really they got everything almost everything right the locations look very 70s the cars the clothes the boom mic the boom mic the showing mic. up. and it was only every now and then that it, it wasn't like every scene like the missing real stuff it was like once it would show up and like tap him on the head a little bit which was that's a nice touch because that was would happen every now and then you can always catch oh if you've ever seen a, if you've ever seen a Rudy Ray Moore movie yeah. the boom mic should get a screen credit it's in the movie more <laughs> <Exactly>. than some <laughs> of the characters are exactly I was going to say something to that effect uh so it was very um it was it was in uh in kind spirit I would say it was it was really paying tribute while also poking a little bit of fun but it's hard not to because when you watch a lot of those movies they're, they're really silly and they're really bombastic and over the top and and that movie did it did it perfectly and you got Refn's Drive which might as well be an '80s Michael Mann film, and you got Drive Angry, which is a perfect drive-in film. Like these are good examples of of what filmmakers can can churn out and do it well, instead of just something that's like dur, dur, '80s funny, would make fun of itself. Yourself. This is. I, I love. I love the movies of the 80s and the 70s, and I love rewatching them. And I love directors and, and filmmakers and writers that come out and and make movies that instead of trying to mimic the style or instead of trying to go for a certain aesthetic, they just sit down and they write an, an 80s movie like uh you know Adam Weingart does that you know you got movies like The Guest that are like that these are good ones that came out following the whole Grindhouse period but at the beginning of it god there was a lot of shit
0: there's also the, you have to look at the fact that even as much as we all love Drive Angry it bombed too made less it than half of did. its budget back and it actually drove its writer Tom Farmer into the poorhouse he lived in his yeah. car for almost a year because of the disastrous box office of that movie mm-hmm. so so I, maybe the audience was just never there for a $50 million grindhouse film.
3: I kind of attribute uh, Drive Angry's failure to dread's failure. They had pushed the 3D angle so hard. And at that point. People were like, they didn't want 3D. Like, like Hollywood tried to hammer home 3D, 3D is going to be the next thing. 3D is going to happen. And people are like, no, no, it's not. And they just kept pushing it. And like, and it, you know, movie after movie would come out and they push the 3D angle and it kept bombing. Like there were people I know that, uh, they wanted to go see Dread. But they're like, it was only showing in 3D in my theater. There was no, uh, you know, 2D version. And a lot of people are like, I either I don't like 3D or 3D makes me sick or I'm just not paying extra to see a movie that, you know, movies are expensive enough. So I think that that's a large part of what uh, Drive Angry failed because part it was of, part Drive of- Angry- in 3D was the title of the movie. Part of why
0: Drive Angry failed was the marketing. And I re- I went and rewatched them today. That first trailer doesn't even mention that it's a supernatural film, oh that there's God. the devil or anything. The first trailer, this is a car chase movie. It's clear, when, because I, I looked at the dates. When that first trailer was released was right after the then most recent Fast and the Furious came out. Mm. That first trailer put me off of this movie immediately. And Then once I found out it's a supernatural film, I went, now I'm interested. So I went back and watched the second trailer, and it's in it a little bit. That first trailer, they tried to hide the fact that it's a supernatural film. I think that put just as many people off Cecil as the 3D angle did. That trailer department needed to be fired.
3: Well, a lot of trailers. Well, usually it's it's not even the fault of uh the people who are cutting the trailers. It's just whoever is in the marketing department that's telling them, you know, well, this is what we want you to do to cut the trailer. Because a lot of times... Hide just, the
0: supernatural stuff, you know, the interesting parts.
3: Yeah, hide that or just, just push it in the wrong direction. Push it towards what we think people want to see and then it ends up bombing and then uh, they blame the movie or the director or whatever <laughs> else instead of the people... That were trying to sell the film to the wrong people. So yeah, Drive Angry just it it failed miserably, and it's a shame because it is so much fun, and it is it is better than both of the Ghost Ghost Rider movies combined. And, and it,
0: I, I actually have to say, as much as Nicolas Cage is fun in this, Fickner steals the movie from him. Yeah.
3: Oh yeah. Oh, totally. Boy does he ever. He like he, he the funny thing with with Fickner was they the the wardrobe department they had like this outfit for him, and he's like no 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 no. He goes home, comes back with his own suit. Yes. And he's like, this <laughs> is what the character would wear. And the director's like, you listen to him. And so like, that's, that's how much he was into the character. You know, mm. like, he, he got it. Yeah. Fickner was awesome in that. Yeah.
0: Well, and then you had another Grindhouse style movie. It was very stylist, stylized with, you know, ratty film and all that. Have either of you guys seen 2011's Chillerama?
3: No. No, I remember when it came out, it was like kind of a big deal. Um, well, not, not a big, but I mean, a big deal amongst like our circuit. But, uh, (laughs) I just, I did not see it.
0: I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. I mean, it has a giant sperm that mutates and starts wrecking the city Godzilla style. And Eric Roberts plays the general trying to stop it. His name is General Bukaki. Sake.
3: That's, that's, (laughs) see, that sounds like a trauma film.
0: Yeah, it does. It kind of does, you know. It has the diary of Anne Frankenstein.
2: <laughs> I've heard of this one. I think, uh, God, now, now it's it's coming back to me. I remember when it was pretty new. Adam Rifkin, Adam Rifkin produced it. Uh, I rem- I vaguely remember uh, Brad doing a vlog review on it. I remember it just because of the giant sperm wrecking a city. But yeah, I I know of this movie, but I still need to, I need to see it. I keep getting reminded of it. It's funny. When I was listening to the commentary, Adam
0: Green said that Eric Roberts wasn't interested. They were talking to his wife at the time they met her at like some party or something. And they said, uh, his character's name would be General Bukaki. She just turned to them and said, he'll take it. (laughs) I think he just wanted to play a character named General Bukaki. Sounds like it. Another film that I think maybe a little bit over the top for a Grindhouse style film. I think John Dies at the end brings out some of that, that just genuine unpredictability in a gr- that a Grindhouse movie, a legitimate one, had to it. If you've never seen John Dies at the end, you legitimately, anything could happen in the next part of this movie, and it would make sense in this particular story. And I think that's what a true Grindhouse style movie Post-2007, we're we're talking about the bastardized word, should have.
3: John Dies at the End is, it's so, it it hurts me because it's so good. Again, bombed, too. Well, it bombed, but the author is an ass- the guy oh, who dude, he runs crack
0: or ran crack.com. Those thieves. Uh,
3: dude, I just. Oh, it just it hurts me because I love the movie so much. So yeah, it just. Oh, it just. It's such a. It it. it it really, like, it's one of those times where you just, you wish you didn't know, you know? <laughs> cause I like it that much. It's such an amazingly unique, fun, different departure. It's so out there from every, you know, a lot of movies that were out at the time. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I, I still recommend it though. Cause people like, you really need to see it cause it, there, it's, it's hard to even compare it to something else because it's just so bizarre, but not, bizarre for the sake of being bizarre
2: i don't know if i would see it as like a as like a post grindhouse kind of movie but it's it's one of those movies that i feel like would really go well as a double feature with something like big trouble in little china because it's it's weird but it's not weird for the sake of it like everything that's happening makes sense in the context of that world like it's just it's bizarre but bizarre in a way that that makes sense And, and much like Big Trouble in Little China, it's this weird little movie with this really over-the-top bombastic plot to it that uh, went over a lot of people's heads. Like, I don't want to say...
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't want to say that it's like uh super intellectual or anything. as it's it's not really. I mean, it's a fun movie, but I think a, a lot of people, much like with Big Trouble in Little China, didn't understand the satire elements to it. You know, like with with Big Trouble, they're like, well, why why is Jack Burton kind of stupid? Like, why is he kind of bumbling? That's the, the point. It's yeah. a riff on the '80s action hero. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It was almost uh, well, almost a commentary of like uh like a modern uh, Green Hornet kind of thing. Where you know his little Asian buddy is actually the more of a badass than he is, which uh, Big Trouble in Little China is probably a better Green Hornet movie than that piece of shit Seth Rogen one was. The same thing with uh, John dies at the end too is I don't think people realize that there was like a dark humor element to it and kind of a weird, bizarre um, kind of uh, c- comedic and satirical approach to it because it's definitely not meant to be taken a hundred percent seriously. Like it is this kind of like weirdo film. And it really works in that way. But I, I think there are people that
0: It has lock- a dead guy communicating with yeah. his friend through a hot dog.
2: Yeah. Yeah. if you're looking too into this, like if, if you're not seeing the obvious uh, comedy that goes uh that goes along with it, you're you're failing to grasp what it's what it's really about. You're you're overthinking it. John dies at the end is uh I mean it's the same guy who did Bubba Hotep and that was excellent too was um, don coscarelli yeah yeah it's fantastic bubba hotep i would see is more of uh was that actually before or after grindhouse that was before that, that was before <laughs> so geez there's another another fucking filmmaker that was doing that shit before uh rodriguez and tarantino decided to sink their teeth into it
0: i would say we need to take a break and hear from 42nd street pete and then something that he's going to bring up is something i want to end the show on so 42nd street pete this is a man who grew up on the grindhouses of 42nd street saw these movies first run he hell he's made his entire persona about these movies he runs a magazine called grindhouse purgatory this is an actual grindhouse expert what do you think about the proliferation of the term grindhouse since 2007
4: uh overused might be the right word I mean, okay, I started a magazine called Grindhouse Purgatory, but I had been using the term way before I started the magazine, way before Quentin Tarantino, you know, Robert Rodriguez debacle. Here's something interesting. You know, all all these self-proclaimed Grindhouse experts all of a sudden resurfaced after that film. Tarantino's part in that whole double feature thing was probably the the weakest point of the whole thing because that film Death Proof or whatever the heck it was called probably would have ran about 3 days see see something people don't realize that movies opened on a Wednesday not on a Friday back then and the reason they opened on a Wednesday was because if they weren't doing any business by Thursday that was the signal to pull the damn thing out of the theaters and throw something in that would do business on the weekend. So, in essence, that death proof probably would have been yanked out by Thursday. Interesting thing is all these supposedly grindhouse filmmakers like Tarantino weren't even around when grindhouses were there. Rob Zombie was born in 65. Tarantino was born in 63. Rodriguez was born in 68. Roth was born in 72. So, obviously, Roth didn't see any of this stuff in a grindhouse. Tarantino would have been 10 years old in 73, so he missed everything already. Rodriguez is the only one I have respect for because he admits that he never set foot in a grindhouse where Tarantino had created this mythos about him watching grindhouse movies with a predominantly black audiences, which is complete nonsense. Then you had every idiot out there slapping grindhouse on a DVD. Then you also had the Weinsteins trying to copyright the, the term grindhouse, if I remember right, sending out C. And cis letters that some DVD companies that all of a sudden turn grindhouse into gorehouse in some on, on a couple labels. So, and the other thing is, you have a bunch of Johnny Come Latelys who started uh, DVD companies that are re-releasing all the junk that has or- had already been out. Okay, so they're doing it in 4K scans. First off, 70s porn never needs to be seen in a 4K scan, nor does some of these so-called, you know, 80s grindhouse films. You have to appreciate the whole grindhouse ambiance is that the films that, you know, we saw personally myself in the grindhouses were just as choppy and chewed up as the ones, you know, presented in film grindhouse. Only they didn't have anybody to add those special effects to make it look, you know, burnt out and scratched and everything. Those films, you know, yep, also you have to understand too that most of the people involved in this stuff never saw anything past the theatrical release. So when these films made the rounds, they were tossed in a big film depot, especially like in New York City, where, you know, people could run in and grab a second feature to throw on you know, with a new newer feature. So yeah, that's, that's the way we saw this stuff. And, uh, you know, like you say, you know, post-grindhouse has just given birth to a bunch of crummy DVD companies, a bunch of, uh, self-proclaimed 20-something year old hipsters that are grindhouse experts, and people like Rob Zombie and Quentin Tarantino and Eli Roth, who Obviously, the fans think they're the end-all, be-all as far as Grindhouse goes, but that is not the case and that is not the truth. The true gods of the Grindhouse, unfortunately, most are no longer with us. Herschel Gordon-Lewis, Dave Friedman, Ted V. Michaels, Andy Milligan, you know, guys like that. Guys that are still around, you know, teetering on the brink are John Carpenter, Toby Hooper, George Romero, guys like that. Unfortunately, we have already lost Wes Craven. Most of the people who actually made real, quote, grindhouse films are either gone or they're just not doing anything anymore. They're on the convention circuit. As Pete
0: pointed out, John Carpenter, George Romero, I'd say even Sam Raimi, even though he's younger than all of them, they were 80s grindhouse filmmakers. They were making... Old, original Grindhouse-style movies, but in the 80s. Like you pointed out, Peter, Big Trouble in Little China is like a Grindhouse movie. But I would also say Assault on Precinct 13 is. Oh, absolutely. I would say that the thing is. I would say Dark Star, even if you're going to go back to, to before all that, you go to Dark Star. You go to Night of the Living Dead. That's a literal grindhouse movie. That was one of those movies that played in actual grindhouses. Mm-hmm. Dawn of the Dawn of the Dead, Night Riders, Martin. I say the Carpenters and the Romero's are the rightful heirs to that word grindhouse rather than Rodriguez and Tarantino.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I think that uh instead of emulating it, they were it. They were clearly
0: influenced by what they saw in the grindhouse, and they made those type of movies, but they made them unironically. They Mm -hmm. weren't making them tongue-in-cheek. As much as I do love Planet Terror, Planet Terror and Death Proof were made to be like a grindhouse film, intentionally not making a film using the influences of the grindhouse.
2: Planet Terror is is pretty much like a, a mishmash of like a Romero zombie movie, but also uh, connected to something like, uh, I believe it's not city, not city of the walking dead. What's that? Uh, it's the infected people movie. city of the walking dead is Fulci. I'm pretty sure. Are you talking about nightmare city with nightmare, the nightmare city. begins anew? Yes. Oh, f- that movie. Uh, that was, um, <laughs> that was meant to be more. Yeah. What planet terror was like almost a direct, uh, off of that. I think Tarantino even did a, uh, an interview where he was talking about that, that being, uh, sort of the influence on it and it was like it's not a zombie movie it's an infected people movie and it still ended up being kind of like mean-spirited in a way i don't don't know what i mean by that exactly but it didn't feel genuine like they were they were poking fun at this uh genre that they were claiming to be reveling in so i I definitely would say that uh the, the true forebringers of the old school Real grindhouse theater days are the guys that came later in the late 70s and in the early 80s, um, the, the Romeros, the, the Carpenters, the Rameys, guys like that, guys that were unironically making these kind of genre films, that were making, you know, sleazy action movies and, and splatter films, and um, these are really the, the true godfathers of the stuff.
0: Look at the original Evil Dead. If that had come out six years earlier, that would have been a grindhouse movie.
2: Oh, Absolutely. Most fucking definitely. It's a splatter film set in a, a cabin with a with a micro budget, and you know monsters ripping people apart. It's an absolute uh, 42nd Street grindhouse kind of movie. So I'd say that that Raimi had that a big influence on on stuff like that, and he loved loves those kind of movies, loves those sort of concepts. Same with same with guys like Carpenter, same with guys like Romero, and you've got the the fulchies and the Argentos. Like these were the the real guys that were keeping that spirit alive. And when you when you look at somebody like like Tarantino, he's a fan. He's a big fan of that kind of stuff. But he he never really brought anything new to the table. I think he's a marvelous filmmaker. I, I love his movies. I do. Jackie Brown is one of my favorite movies of all time. But I've always seen Tarantino as a really good b-movie and exploitation fan film kind of guy it's a lot of it is is love letters to that sort of stuff and he's very good at it but there's not a lot that's that's original that comes with it if you want to talk about guys that really brought in that resurgence of the early 70s and mid 70s kind of kind of schlock and exploitation and z-grade stuff it's more than definitely the romeros the carpenters and the Raimi's and the people that are cut from that cloth
0: When you got people like Tarantino and Rodriguez, and I'm not saying this in in a negative sense, but like with Rodriguez, you have a watered down grindhouse aesthetic because rodriguez is clearly influenced by john carpenter yeah i'm not saying he apes john carpenter's style but you can definitely see john carpenter was a huge influence in robert rodriguez
4: oh absolutely So ra-
0: rather than robert rodriguez emulating the grindhouse films he seems to be emulating the john carpenter films that were yeah. emulating the grindhouse films
2: yeah because like machete had um Almost like a tinge of assault on precinct 13 to it in the way the, the film starts. I'd say looked. from dust till dawn too. Yeah, definitely. Um it, it felt a lot more like uh like an early eighties, late seventies John Carpenter movie rather than like um a, a early seventies, late sixties drive in grindhouse film. Like you can really see the uh John Carpenter influence on somebody like Rodriguez.
3: Well, I mean also because I mean Rodriguez is younger than them too, so he is somebody who absolutely was uh influenced by it, but he does in a way have his own style. Like I mean, if you go back and you watch uh El Mariachi and, mm-hmm. and- uh, Desperado and all that. It, there yeah. is his style in
0: there. So, oh, what, I, that's why I said I, I don't think he's ripping off John Carpenter, but you can see the influence in like Once Upon a Time in Mexico. You can see John Carpenter's
3: influence all over that movie. Well, I think the, the thing to understand though is that he's influenced, but he's not mimicking. He, it's like, so there is the influence. There's the style that is kind of like that, but there's also his own yeah. You know, his own style that is in there infused. So it's not like some of the other directors where like it's just so generic. They have nothing, uh, you know, nothing that they're bringing to the table. Yeah. You can look at his stuff with the way that he does like the quick edits, uh, but it's not like the annoying quick edits like, uh, you know, some movies that are edited to hell lately. His, his angles and his style and everything. It does very much feel like a Robert Rodriguez movie, but it's also something that was obviously influenced by like Carpenter and people from that. That era.
0: The last thing we're going to mention is how the word grindhouse doesn't mean what it used to. And, and this is even by some people who were there. Charlie Band puts out the full moon grindhouse. What are these movies? The old Charles Band productions from the 70s that played in some of the grindhouses? No. It's his direct-to-video stuff that he did in the early to mid-'80s. Okay. There's a book out called Portable Grindhouse, The Lost Art of 80s VHS. What? And it's like, you you really don't know what you're talking about, do you? <laughs> the, the, the word seems to have been tainted and watered down to the point where it's become a buzzword. And I don't like that when it has become a buzzword because I like... And when I say Grindhouse style, I mean both the real Grindhouse and the style of the movie Grindhouse. And that really doesn't, it really doesn't carry as much weight in 2017 as it did in 2007.
2: Yeah, it has been kind of, like the word itself has definitely been lost in translation. I mean, I I can kind of see that word making sense for, uh, or that term making sense for straight-to-video VHS stuff. Because if you think about it, they were kind of grinding those out. So it sort of makes sense to be portable grindhouse films. I can see where they're coming from, but it is a whole lost in translation thing and that's not like an original idea that they had, like, oh, you know, it's kind of like the Grindhouse Theaters, we're going to say that. It's more more or less going by, you know, the movie Grindhouse coming out and the the term Grindhouse becoming more of a buzzword. So in, in a way, you can associate it with that, that you know, they're low-budget movies and they're coming out very quickly. They're being grinded out the same way that in the Grindhouse Theaters, it was a different movie, different two movies every couple of nights. It's definitely more to do with a, a pop culture phenomenon in 2007 that had has uh, given people a lot of uh, misinterpretations of what Grindhouse actually means. I got to go with
0: Joe Bob Briggs. When he was on The Tonight Show, he was asked what his favorite 42nd Street Grindhouse movie was. And he said, there's this one that's been playing for like eight years straight. Always three Kung Fu classics. He's like, it's still playing.
3: (laughs) <laughs> Grindhouse kind of became uh, like the the word du jour. You know, it was like, OK, well, here's a new label that we could throw on something. So uh there's always this nature to Hollywood where something will come along and they'll need to capitalize on it. So even though Grindhouse initially was a flop, they found a way to capitalize on it years later. And so we've had so many of them. You know, there's the, the resurgence of the teen sex comedy. There's the resurgence of the 80s style horror. Horror film, uh, You know, they're the slasher. And then Grindhouse just kind of became another label that uh, was tagged on by people that didn't really understand it. Most of the time that they're in the marketing department, they were around long after this thing had come and gone. So they're just kind of going by what they consider to be something that falls under the buzzword. Tarantino obviously is an expert in this, so he must be right. That's what this is. And that's kind of what the mindset of it is, is that this is what they think it is, so then they sell it to a bunch of people who also don't know any better, and then it kind of becomes the thing.
0: Cecil is a thing. I am a people, thing! Where can people find Cecil thinging?
3: You can <laughs> find me, I'm a thing, at, uh, Good Bad Flicks on GoodBadFlicks.com, Good Bad Flicks on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook.
0: And where can we find Peter being a Canadian thing?
2: You can find me being the Canadian thing on, uh, Twitter at Cinematica, on Facebook, The Cinematicist, YouTube, The Cinematicus, and on, uh, 1201beyond.com, uh, where you can find some t-shirts and, uh, and beanies and hats. Go buy some. Thing, ring, do your thing. <laughs>
0: you can find me at 1201beyond.com which as peter mentioned you can get t-shirts and things like that go buy something it helps us it does and you can, con- and you can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com guys try to be a cut above keep one foot in the gutter one fist in the gold have a good night <laughs>
2: and other great content at 1201beyond.com.